It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest-running women's professional league in the country, and this year, 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup, featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet, playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season. Subscribe, like, and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. We want to welcome on board the Island Pacific Soap Company as our first commercial partner. They make high-quality, all-natural, handcrafted bath soap. Check them out online, and a big shout-out to Paul for all the support. The team looks much better. Their mindset seems better. And I'm, I'm super excited about what they might be able to get to by the time they toss that first ball at the World Cup. Joining us on Shooting the Breeze again, it's legendary Opal Michelle Timms, and we're talking about the FIBA Women's World Cup qualifiers. 16 teams over five days of incredible action that played out in Belgrade, Washington DC and Osaka, Japan. There were some wonderful firsts, including Bosnia-Herzegovina pushing their way through to their first Women's World Cup ever. There was also a formidable performance from China and our Opal's defence looks like it's getting back on track. Naturally, we explore some controversial moments, which we get right into. So enjoy the pod. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and review for more Women's Hoops content. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining my co-host Jacinta Govind and myself, we've got Michelle Timms back. We're talking the Women's World Cup qualifying tournament and whatever else comes up through the conversation. (laughs) Timsy, it's great to have you back. And heaven knows something else always comes up. So, yes, oh, it's great yeah. to be back. I've been looking forward to this because I remember you said you'd get me back on and I've been uh, waiting with bated breath, especially after a few things we spoke about, one of them being Lee Maley, and you guys were quite right uh, in your call saying that uh, what about her for the Opals? And at the start of the season, I'm like, yeah, I don't know, she's got a few things to work on. But boy, oh, boy, if we just digress straight off the bat, Onalee Maley, what a absolute phenomenal season and justifiably so, went on and made the Opal squad, which you guys suggested she should have been in. And I'll go as far as to say that she is worth a look to see if she, uh, I mean, there's no reason why she can't rebound internationally. If you're a possession animal, you're a possession animal. It doesn't matter where it is in the world. And her shooting's just, she's worked on a game immensely in the off-season and her scoring now isn't something that lets her down. You know, she can score now. So, boy, uh, you guys picked it, and uh, I want to give you guys kudos for that because I was a little bit resistant, but boy, oh, boy, a Lincoln toy. Oh, i tell you what, she's come out of the box this yeah. season yeah. unbelievably, posting well, amazing numbers. I mean, I had her in my All-Star 5 last year. I got a little bit of shit put on me for putting her in there, but I just couldn't go past what she'd done as a possession animal. You know, the, the record she'd broken and her consistency to get on the glass and that, it deserved to be recognised, in my humble opinion. She's got, I mean, look, they've got the one of the worst records in the league, so it's probably she's not going to be able to probably win MVP because that never happens. But she's got to be up there with the conversation, especially halfway through the year. 
I don't know. Like I remember in the bubble season, Steph Talbot also put up big numbers. She won MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in the same season. And that's the season where Adelaide were towards the bottom end of the ladder too. So you yeah, never well, know. But that was a huge surprise to me, I've got to say. I, yeah. didn't, uh, yeah. I didn't think that she was in the dynamics of MVP, you know. Like I just figured it was out of Nicholson or Cambridge and that was a real left the field for me. But uh, you are right again. Yep, you're absolutely <laughs> right. A bottom team player could win it, but she's got my vote right now, that's for sure. And like Paul said, like she's just putting up amazing numbers. It's not a matter yeah. of getting a double-double of 10 and 10, 10 and 12. We're heading into like 20s and someone yeah. to get 20-plus boards in a game in a very competitive league is outstanding. I had a chat with a friend the other day about it because we're all on a bandwagon, right? And, uh, you know, he, he said to me that it's like she's like the Debbie Slimmon. Like every, everyone was saying, oh, she couldn't play internationally. She's small, even with her numbers, da 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 but Debbie was a fantastic opal, you know. She was great for the Australian team. And another big thing that you pointed out is she's a possession animal, as you put it, and I feel like that sense of urgency to get on the glass, to get possession, to hustle on every loose ball and either make a score or make another defensive rebound is something that a lot of players don't have. It's an effort yeah. thing. And I know that uh, Malia said in the past in a couple of other interviews that she, you know, looks at people like Dennis Rodman to be more proactive on the glass and have that animal instinct. But I think it's something that is missing in the league and even in our Opal squad is that sense of urgency Absolutely. that she can bring. Absolutely. I think that's what I said last time. At the very least, or in an interview, at the very least, no harm putting her in the squad. You know, she's going to change the dynamics of that squad and keep those girls honest and instill a sense of work ethic and second efforts and third efforts and and really give that Opal squad a sense of, like you said, that urgency and and playing with that aggressive mentality and never say die attitude, which it had been lacking at the previous Olympics. So I think that from a squad point of view, she had to have helped. And I've heard from players that they were pleasantly surprised of her impact at the squad. So I'd heard that she had a good training camp. You know, as I said, I'd like to uh, there's no reason why she couldn't do it internationally if it's in her blood and it's been in her blood since she was under 12. I remember Tom Ma saying, oh, my God, I just saw Anneli Mady play. She's just an animal, you know. So it's in her blood and uh, there's no reason why she couldn't do it internationally. So it'll be interesting to see if she gets a gig. Probably won't get a gig before the World Cup, but let's hope she gets. we get to see if the girl can play, which I'm sure she can. No reason why she can't internationally. Yeah, one of the things I noticed was there seemed to be a, a trend towards playing run-and-gun basketball. You, you take a shot, you don't really go for the board and then just run up the other end and it's constantly just back and forth. And someone like Maley's going to bring a completely different dynamic, like you said, and other teams aren't necessarily going to be practising how to defend against that. Yeah, it's one of my pet hates and it is a style. Like I was talking to a few coaches and... They were telling me it's a, it's a bit of a style just to, you know, not crash the glass and, and run back to protect the basket. But I hate it. And I think that I've seen too many games in the WNBL where I don't know whether it's a style or just a, a lack of um, habit of crashing the offensive glass because Lord knows we're still not over 50% as a shooting nation or 60%. And the only reason why you wouldn't 
crash the glass as if you you know you're making three out of every four shots possibly I don't know I still would be crashing the glass you know because you crash the glass and you can start your trans deep on whoever rebounds as well so yeah you're right that is a style of play I don't like it though I don't like it either to be honest it's um and you know with styles in any context just because it's a style doesn't mean it needs to be in fashion um I just don't understand why you want to limit your team's opportunities to dominate the possession for a whole game and not giving yourself an opportunity to crash the glass. But mm. like you just touched on, I uh, getting into that tag up mentality to be really technical of any time your team takes a shot, you've got five on the glass and you're in the best opportunity for defensive transition on the way back, kind of cuts a bit of the work out of it. Or you do some of the work early, then you don't have to worry about tailing up the other end to stop mm. the other team making a layup. Well, back in my day, it was always three to the glass and then one at the top of the your foul line, starting your trans D and one safety, you know. So you at least got some pressure on that offensive glass, you know. Anyway, things have changed. <laughs> Clearly, yes. we're not all in agree with the style of play, but anyway. No, I, mean, no. No. But, I have heard that Sandy's planning, at least she's aiming for 15 trial games before the World Cup. So there is a chance that Maley might get an opportunity to suit up in one of those games and be really tested. Well, that's fantastic. I think uh, I'll be really keen to see how that happens and where that happens because my understanding is that Sandy will be, well, I don't know, I guess she. I'm presuming she heads back to the WNBA very soon to start the WNBA season in June. So, yeah, I hope they get 15 games in. That would be absolutely fantastic and exactly what the doctor ordered and get some runs into those little point guards who desperately need some minutes and um you know, maybe there's an opportunity for the likes of Maley, as you said, but also Coley and uh, Nicholson, who missed out on the team, to to see if there's a spot for them or how, if they can break their way into it. Because I think Coley, in my opinion, was somebody who probably deserved a shot, you know. Like, I hate the fact that we pigeonhole her as a, a three-on-three player because uh, she's more than that. And I think a WNBL has shown that she's more than that. Yeah, I think the kid, like Maley, maybe more so than Maylie because she's been around a bit longer, probably deserves a chance to see if she can play international hoop and and be an impact player because defensively she's pretty great and I think offensively running the lane and getting to the rack and, you know, there's a lot of positives about Coley as well. Yeah, definitely. And just you were talking about the guards. I think one of the interesting things that came out of this is the rotation that's been happening over Asia Cup and qualifiers with the younger guards that have been brought in. I mean, I'm only guessing, but I'm, it seems to me like it's let's try out the younger ones to see who's going to fit in well with the veterans that we want to take into the World Cup as well so that we can start getting that generational shift happening. Yeah, I think it's um, it was interesting. Um, you know, I was sort of like, I feel stupid saying it now because she's been so great, but I was a little bit like, well, do we need Sammy? Should we just go for it and just try and go without her and just have our Australian kids and da 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 But she's been a, a fantastic, I think, spiritual leader for us and uh, has set the tone for the team and, and possibly the, reset the culture a little bit. But I just I feel like, in my opinion, I think that, that running her at the point for 35 minutes a game or 32 minutes a game is just a little bit too much for her. I think we're detracting from her what she's great at and that is coming off picks and getting open and also when you're playing that many minutes you've you've also you're spending a lot on running around against the other point guard 
it's very, extremely tiring in a tournament situation. So I think I'd like to see her more as a combo guard and place more in the two spot and, and play the point, yes, absolutely. But um, let's see those young kids in there. And, you know, they didn't look settled. Rochi got better as it went on. Shyla needs probably, you know, she needs more repetitions and getting more experience at that level as women. But I'd probably like to see if we can get those kids a few more minutes rather than three or five minutes a, a game. Makes me nervous yeah, about the point guard position. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that Paul picked up on that to segue into this part of the conversation because I definitely wanted to talk to you about the point guard situation because when, when they announced the team that went to Serbia, it kind of came pretty evident that the backcourt was kind of sorted. Uh, it was pretty solid and consistent between who went to the Olympics and it looked like that Sandy was focusing on guard rotations. But now that the tournament's over, I noticed the same thing as you, Timsy, that they were relying on Sammy a lot for that PG spot and it kind of started to become evident that there really needs to be a solid backup PG because for the same reason as you said, Sammy's really, really good as a two as well to get her on the fly. But the thing I kind of noticed, and I'd love your opinion on this too, is that say if we put Sammy and Lay in the same kind of category as point guard versus say Rochi and Shyla, to me they're both very different groups of point guard. The one is more a uh, dribble, uh, Sammy and Leia more kind of dribble as required, whereas I feel like Shyla and Rochi are just kind of dribble because they can dribble. So I'm kind of interested to see what your take is on the different styles of point guards those groups are and what type of qualities you value as a point guard. Oh, wow. Um, big question. It is a big question. Um, I'm a little confused by it, but I, I like my point guard to be you know, be able to, to get that ball down the court fast with limited amounts of dribbles. I like us being a running team, getting my wings out running and, you know, one dribble whack that the ball's kicked up. And then obviously, you know, when it needs to be walked up, you walk it up and you get us organised and, you know, maybe at the end of the clock you get the ball back in your hand and you come off an on ball or, or whatever your role is sort of thing. But I don't know. I'm a little unsure of your question, but they're, definitely, they're definitely different yeah. style players. And I guess a lot of it has to do with what style of basketball you're playing as well. Like, you know, back in my day, we had a real mix of of plays and motion, I guess. You know, the point guard, we we searched the, the fast break first and foremost. And then if there was nothing, we'd get the ball back and get us set up into a play and assess what's happening on the floor and assess who's hot and who's not and who's in foul trouble, who we need to go at and, and run the appropriate play. And um, I don't know if that's the style anymore. I kind of get a sense that there weren't a lot of go-to plays and set plays and a lot of motion. And, yeah, it's just it's a different style of game. And sometimes I feel like we need to go back to the, you know, especially when there's a lot of pressure. Don't go motion. Don't go handoffs and you're, you're causing a lot of pressure to come in one area. Get them one for set, simple, go-to play, whether it's a, a rip for Ezzy at the elbow, one dribble, everybody else is one for high or Say you play an, an Asian team and, and Sammy has a smaller player on it, well, dribble at her and then let her go to the low block and go to work on a mat, that sort of thing, you know. So I think the style is a little bit different to, to when I used to play, that's for sure. The other thing for me, the younger guards, so their situational awareness of what was happening around them wasn't quite as developed as I think it could be. You know, whereas you look at, say, at Asia Cup, Loz Nicholson, 
when she was playing, it seemed to me that she had a better idea of what was happening around her. The, the reality is it does come with time, but these are obviously decisions that are going to have to go into picking the squad. I've got to say, I didn't notice it, but I, I wasn't looking. It can be what you're, what you're meant to be running too, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if you're just running flow, basically you're kicking the ball on and you're, I, I don't know, yeah, not sure. But I think they've got IQ. That's you oh, know. It's not a, not a question of IQ. I think it's more a case of that level of experience that comes from international competition because yeah. it's just that well, next level up from, you know, WNBL. Well, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I don't think our Opal showed a level of IQ against Serbia in the last quarter. And the young kids weren't on then. They were all the older kids and they got jammed up. They didn't run principles of play. The big thing about running emotion or the flow or whatever is – is you've got to be able to react to the defence, you know. So if the defence is denying you, you don't keep going trying to get the hand off or trying to go that direction, you back up. If the defence goes under, you, you react to that. And I don't know why that they, you know, they didn't slow down and, and see that and let that pressure get to them so much and just not think of what their reactions are to these situations. But it definitely wasn't just the young kids that probably, you know, you think struggled with the IQ of it. In that Serbian game, I thought that we didn't, we lacked a little bit of leadership down the stretch. And, you know, maybe, maybe that speaks to Sammy playing a lot of minutes. And, you know, I don't know, but there's more than the, the point guard that's got to be able to be a leader of the team and say, you know, we had often Robin Ma say, Oi, slow it down, run this. Um, or Trish Fallon, look, look at me, I've got this person on me, let's run it. You know, like we had a lot of voices. A lot of, you know, um, high IQ players that I was fortunate enough to play with who in any tight situation, we didn't panic. Yeah, kind of based on what you said, Timsy, I was like, it, it did read to me that there was a little bit of increasing sense of panic going into the stretch of that game. And as you know, in any situation when we panic, our decision making isn't always the best. But that was the perfect time where we probably should have banded together and used more communication in our voices and perhaps tried to help each other a bit more in that sense of panic rather yeah. than going a little bit too quiet. Yeah. I mean, look, that Serbian game, we could talk about that for hours. I mean, I, mm. I really respect Melkovic. She's a terrific coach and she really puts teams under a lot of pressure and she's clever in the way she does it too so in my opinion she challenges the referees they play a very uh, aggressive style of hoop and if you go back and watch that game so it was just some mugging going on of the point guard when they're just trying to get the, the first you know pass into the offense it was like geez you know how's that on a foul but because they're constantly fouling I think the referees just feel like they can't call everything you know so they do run a very physical um, brand of basketball, but that's what they're known for. They're also known for putting on presses off a foul shot. You know, this dollar game wasn't a surprise. And she's just good the way she does it too. Like she'll go, okay, the next three minutes we're in, you know, blitz or whatever they call it, you know, and they just go crazy, you know, over-rotating and taking gambles whenever the ball's on the sideline, near the sideline. And so she's a really clever coach. I really like her. I also like the Bosnia coach, but we'll get to him as well. Yeah, yeah so. let's get into the, the broader thing because we're going to come back and talk about stuff, and particular incidents from that Serbia game. Let's look at it. Let's do it from the Washington, D.C. side of the Oh, the look, I don't even, I, don't, I just don't even want to talk about that side of thing. That was a joke. So, you know, you had four teams. I, I, it is, seriously. I just No, 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 that's, that's cool. I was flabbergasted. I was like thinking, hang on a sec, they're not playing in the USA. They're meant to be playing in Washington. So apparently Russia's vaccine isn't acknowledged in the USA. 
So Russia, obviously, in yeah. that pool. So the USA played Belgium. Who else? I think they played two games, you know. And then poor old Belgium played USA and Puerto Rico in, in USA and then had to fly down to the Caribbean to play their next game against Russia, who had two games. USA didn't yeah. bother playing them. So they played Belgium and Puerto Rico down there. And, I mean, come on, what the heck? <laughs> Their vaccine isn't recognised, so they're not allowed in. What's going to happen? I don't understand what's going to happen. I mean, I haven't thought about it enough, but that was just wrong. I just didn't get that, and I just thought it was really wrong. If their vaccine isn't accepted, it's not accepted, and what's going to happen when they come to Australia? I mean, they've qualified now. I watched that game to, closely to see who was going to win out of Puerto Rico and Russia, and Russia just tidied them up easy. So they're yeah. through with Belgium and um, the USA. And Belgium, you know what, to be honest, I wasn't overly happy with what was happening, so I didn't watch a lot of those games. And uh, I had a look at the scoreline with Belgium, USA, and that was, you know, 15 all at quarter time. And then USA won, won, I think, the next two quarters, and then Belgium won the last quarter. It ended up being close. But, you know, Belgium's Belgium. They're going to be competitive. They're a good team with Miesemann and the guards they have in that. So, And the USA is USA. You know, Russia's not going to, I don't think they're going to do any damage, but, but it's good to see them back in the in the mix of things if they're allowed here. I'm not quite sure. Do you guys know what the vaccine, I don't know. Do we recognise their vaccine? I've got no idea. I, I'm i not sure. I've heard on the grapevine that we don't, but, <laughs> you know, between now and September, who knows what's going to happen? Well, exactly. Who knows? That's the beauty of this year. Because who knows? Who knows who's come? Yes, you might say this, this, and this team are coming, but are they coming because half their team might not be there, like France, you know, who we'll get to. Yeah. So, yeah, if we just look at the Washington pool, you had the USA one, Belgium two, and, and uh, Russia three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we'll park those three. I think out of it, really, the best performance was Mieseman and, you know, what can you say? Yeah. So let's roll into Osaka where we had – Canada, Japan, and your favourite from the last one we huh? did, Bosnia and Herzegovina. I told you. Did I not? Can yeah. we please replay? Did I tell you <laughs> no, or did I tell you, you not? 100% that was your prediction and you were really rooting for them to make yeah. the, well, the, qual- was- the final um, 16 pool of 12, 16, yeah. Well, it was made easy when Belarus couldn't go, so they all made No, was it Belarus who couldn't go and they all made it? Because there was only three in that yeah. pool. So- yeah, yeah. They all went one and one and one and one. Each three teams, they all won one game. And surprisingly, Canada ended up on top, then Japan, then Bosnia. But my goodness, Bosnia, they're the real deal. Like, seriously, no wonder they're one of the top European teams in the world at the moment. That Jaquel Jones, sometimes her attitude does my head in, but she's a monster. She's a Kevin Durant monster. She's just phenomenal. Like, she catches that ball like no other female I've seen play. I know she was playing against Japan, who were fairly small anyway in that game, but, but she, she does that night in, night out in Kattenberg and, and in the WNBA. She's she's just a monster. What She averaged a double-double every night. She was just fantastic and no doubt she, you know, she deserved MVP. I mean, she played 37 minutes a game. She only had two games, but whether that's – you can <laughs> – do that for a World Cup. I'm not quite sure, but if anyone can, she can. She was phenomenal and she's got a really good crew around her. I really like Babbage. Yeah. She didn't have a great game against Japan and they still won. I watched that game. I just still don't know how they won. But anyway, and um, I think it's Javich. 
another player who did really, really well. But the good thing I will say about Babbage, she didn't have a great game against Japan in that last game, but she hit the, the big three that's got them over the line to set up the win for them as well. So, And she's very highly regarded in Europe, Babbage. So, but they're a really good defensive team. I really like how they play D. They remind me a little bit of Serbia where they challenge the referee, they get up in your jock and they, yeah, they actually used, I thought they used Jaquel um, Jones really, really well. Like they didn't go to it every time. They had a nice mix of girls putting it on the rack and, you know, I just love the fact that if they get trouble, they just chuck it up in the air anywhere near the baseline and Jaquel just drops out of the stadium, grabs it and puts the ball in. You know? <laughs> she was super. She was like, I think, clear MVP of the whole, everything I saw out of all the tournaments, she was phenomenal. And Canada, so, Canada was a real healthy surprise. They did a really good job. They lost to Japan after being up 20, which wasn't so great, but it showed that they probably should have beaten Japan and they should have been 2-0, and you know. But they cleaned up. They cleaned up, totally cleaned up Bosnia. And Jaquel Jones had her worst game. I think she only had 15 points and like four boards in about 30 minutes or something like that. So, And Chonwa and, and, and the crew over there, the Canadians, they're actually playing a better style of basketball than they did the last couple of years with this new coach. Yeah, I agree. And Canada are also missing Kia Nurse because she did an injury mm. in the last WNBA finals round. So I still think that Canada did really, really well considering new coach, missing a big yeah. player, coming up against can Japan we, and such. Can we talk about Japan for a sec too? Because I've, oh, yeah. I've got my concerns about them. They weren't the Japan of Tokyo, that's for sure. You know, they still run around and pressure the cardiology out of the ball, but they're everywhere. They didn't look as impressive as Tokyo to me. It was interesting in that Bosnia game, He, he the coach who I believe, I'm pretty sure that's the assistant coach who's now got the head coaching position. I kind of felt like they went big, what's big for Japan, but they went big against Bosnia more than what they normally would have. You know, they rely on their two or three little guys zipping around everywhere and I found at times that they went four and one you know like their defense didn't look as scary and the rotations concern me a little bit with the subbing so it'll be one to watch they've got a lot of time now between you know now and and the world cup to get things right but Tokashiki's the big story for them she's back in their lineup she's their center who they didn't have at the Tokyo Olympics and haven't had for about two years she had a run-in with the coach and then supposedly there was an injury thing that's why she didn't go to the Olympics but they did it without her anyway but she's back in the team and she's a huge, huge in for them, but um, didn't really stand out this tournament for me. Yeah, and they didn't have Rui Machida in it this round either. No, they didn't. But they had a couple of uh, little guards that I hadn't seen before. Yeah, just as dynamic and can shoot the ball and that. But, yeah, interesting to see. That that team will grow. I just wasn't so impressed and I was, was expecting a little bit more and they were at home. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. Okay, so let's get into Belgrade now. Pool B, China, Nigeria, and France. Marley dipped out there. What did you think of the three that made it and the surprise of Nigeria? Well, Nigeria were great. France was, you know, France was the big disappointment, but you've got to keep it in check. They had a few players out and, you know, Gruder and at the very last minute of training camp, before they went into COVID camp, the day travelling their kids got tested positive and yep. it was a mess for them. But I think they still had enough stock to do better than they did. But um, boy, oh boy, that were my disappointment for that pool, definitely. I didn't like the way they finished the tournament off against China either. And 
you know, Johannes is a, a great offensive player, but I don't know. Like, I don't know how she made that all-star five, to be honest, but I kind of feel that she, um, you know, part of being a good player is you can play with anyone. You know who you're playing with, and, and she's so spectacular, and what she does can be absolutely phenomenal, but her turnover rate is just, uh, boy, she chucks that ball away way too much, and I think the coach had just had enough of it by the third game, to be honest, that game against China, and he, he didn't even start her. Watching that game, the China-Japan game, which was the game I was waiting for all tournament, it was still a good brand of basketball. It was still really it was really fun to watch, the intensity in that. But Japan's got a lot of work to do. They've got a new coach. It's a different style, as we heard on numerous occasions over the, the three games they played. Defensively, I think they're better. Well, what I should say, I like what they're trying to do defensively. Disappointing, but not unexpected with so many good players missing, I guess you could say. But, yeah. China for me was still outstanding. Like I've watched China, uh, I feel like over time they've just their basketball program, basketball culture, playing style has evolved so much in the last five, ten years. And the basketball they were playing at this tournament was so good to watch. Like that was the style of basketball that really got me excited as a fan. Um, yes. Just people in the right spots, just. Just really, really simple stuff, like going back to what you would refer as old school Timsy before, just really simple stuff of dribble penetration, pitching it out, extra passes, people in right spots, people looking out for their shooters with a hot hand. That's as simple as it needs to be. And when that, that's like poetry in motion, what China was, was giving us at that tournament. It was just awesome. They played beautiful basketball, no doubt about it. They played for each other. There wasn't one player, you know, needing to be the, the, the star. They moved the ball great, like you said. Um, they they ran plays to perfection, always made that extra pass when needed. Defensively, it was heat on the whole time. And their new coach, Zhang Wei, she was an assistant coach with the team for um, many years. She's got a very high IQ. And I think what she's brought to this team is a sense of um, playing freely and not with the playing stress of losing and and what happens with that to them you know what I mean like they were definitely playing with the shackles off and they were loving it and uh, they shot the mickey out of the ball their shooting percentage was something like 49% for the the tournament from the three-point line 54% from the field they were just beautiful to watch and uh, that intensity they played every minute and I think that's a thing that is a concern for me is probably the, the the mental side of the Chinese team you know can they string it together in big games and well you know they, they did when the back was, was against the wall with Nigeria coming back at them and they weathered the storm and going into that game against France even though both of them had punched tickets to the World Cup they still came out with it for the entire game and didn't have a lapse and they were fun to watch and Xi Jing I think who was the MVP of that group she had the best tournament that I've seen I think that's the best I've seen China actually shoot the ball from the perimeter for sure no doubt but they're clicking and they just need to continue that form and self-belief and playing freely inside their own head and they'll do a lot of damage at the World Cup I'm presuming that intensity that they bring defensively is um is going to really hurt teams and I think the big story with them well for me I mean Xi Jing's great and it's great that she had that come out tournament but Li Ru and um Shu Han their bigs just uh, just fantastic like just 
amazing pieces for that team. And Lee Rue's very much back-to-basket style, big, wonderful soft touch, can run the floor. And then Shu Han's the opposite. She's a thin, long, big, who can just wonderful touch outside the key, can shoot the three. Didn't know she shot the three. She shot a few threes this tournament. And just, uh, you know, shot the ball terrific and also the agility of those two bigs. So I found myself watching them and then watching the Bosnia versus Japan game and thinking I wonder how they would defend Jacqueline Jones, those bigs, you know. Um, so that's going to be interesting if those two teams ever get together, uh, see how that how they defend someone like a John Cole Jones. You know, the thing with China is that they shouldn't have lost that game to Serbia at the Olympics. That's in my belief. They were playing really well and, you know, they should have been in. I had them picked for a medal in the medal games before those Olympics and I think that's they would have been disappointed with not getting to the medal round. So they have been a train coming and um, now they've just got to keep that momentum and keep getting better from now until the World Cup and they could be on the podium, which is the first time probably since I was 94. Oh, no, that's not right. I'd have to look that up. But I'm, I know I was 94, they won silver. But you guys, one of us need to back check that and see when the last time they, <laughs> they medaled at the World Cup. But you're absolutely right. They were the team for me that uh, played super hoop and I really enjoyed watching them. The playing freely, I really enjoy that. That's come up in another interview we've done this week with another player, the idea of playing freely and having the understanding that you'll have set plays, you'll have set roles and role plays in particular plays, but the idea of going back to what you said about the Opals needing a room for improvement with Reed to react, it's playing within those sets and playing within those roles, but playing freely enough that you're able to read and react and have those other options and knowing that everyone's going to be in the right spot at the right time um, for you to be able to execute your place. And that's something that I really liked with China as well. Everything just seems so easy. And when you're a team like that where you've got the great balance between the structure and the freedom and the read to react, you're going to be very, very hard to guard because it means that anyone at any time is going to be able to score. You're going to be really hard to guard, really hard to scout. It's a pretty lethal uh, triad of, of offensive um prowess I think that China's on the cusp of achieving the other thing they did really well you know we can talk about it when we get to the the other pod in Serbia is they took care of the ball really well like they only averaged I think it was 14 turnovers a game as a national team you you only want high-end 12 you know like when we played our limit was we'd say we we had to keep it under 12 turnovers a game so they were pretty handy with the ball and then on the other hand causing a lot of turnovers you know France they were like up to 25 turnovers a game and Nigeria had 21 turnovers a game. So turnovers, you know, are big and they uh, they forced a lot and they took care of the ball really well. Okay, so now let's get into Belgrade A, Serbia, Australia, Korea and Brazil. Mm. There's a whole lot out of this pool, obviously, for us. I'm going to throw out there and start off with something you mentioned earlier about the defence that Serbia brought and the defensive pressure they brought. One of the things that I noticed in our game was when they were playing their full-court press against us, it almost felt like we didn't know how to react to it. And the, the number of times they were able to pick off the ball from poorly selected passes. What do you think we need to do to be able to address some of those issues? Just practice against it, you know. That's the easiest thing, isn't it? You know, like I think the good thing about 
the Opals is that they've learned a lot about themselves. And you heard Sandy talk about that after they lost to Serbia. But I think they've they can now go away and see the areas they need to work on and put themselves under the, the highest amount of pressure they can and make sure they can react. I think unfortunately for us here in Australia, our referees are really good and they don't let a lot of that pressure happen because it is fouling. So, you know, I mean, look, yes. Did players dribble into hot spots and get trapped? Yes, they did. You know, bad IQ. But um, it's it's tricky, you know. But they definitely need to rehearse, you know, how to beat a press. And, and I think, you know, if you look at other teams you know, alleviating the pressure from a Japanese team or Chinese team, and we used to do it. Like, I remember even in the WNBL, I mean, Debbie Black was a pain in the ass to, you know, she'd pick you up full court and grind you. And it was like, it's taxi. So why put that upon yourself? Flip it to the two-man or the three-man. Let them bring it down. Like there's ways of releasing the press. Get your big player to dribble over and get it back at the, at the half court or whatever, you know. So there's ways of alleviating and relieving that, that perceived pressure as well. But um, I don't know. I, I think you're, you're right. We, we did find ourselves in awkward positions. Receiving the ball too low near the baseline is one pet hate of mine. I don't know why guards insist on doing that. You've got to be on the flyer. You've got to catch it above the, you know, around about the elbow and get going. And you don't dribble into hot spots and you don't dribble and then pick the ball up. You know, but these are all things the players, it's great. They've got to work on now and as they go back and then with the 15 games coming up. And I'm sure at training, we, we've established that we want to we want to put the sort of pressure on teams that we saw in game one and, and we've seen China and, you know, all these other teams do night in, night out. And I'm sure our, our training camps are going to be heavily based on this. So the kids are going to get incredible amount of practice on how to handle high heat, you know, and, and knowing where to go and where not to go and and a simple press breaker if that's what's needed. But, you know, I think I'm pretty sure by the time the World Cup rolls around that we'll, we'll have that sorted. Absolutely. I'd be really shocked if we got caught out again. It's, um yeah, like you said, practising uh, under that intense physical pressure and it's because as soon as it was a little bit more like it was applied by Serbia and became a little bit more physical than well, what we're used to and what really out of our comfort zone that's when you see those kind of classic mistakes of poor decision making picking up your dribble dribbling into spots you're not supposed to you know you're not supposed to dribble in so yeah, yeah. perhaps practicing and putting ourselves in those game situations where we are under that bit more applied pressure would be really, really awesome. Yeah. But I do also think that I really like how you diplomatically stated the that how Serbia are really good at challenging the referees because a lot of people were talking online about Steph Talbot's disqualification foul oh. and being ejected. That was and, BS. Um, well, that's it. Look, I will show you. I know that this is a podcast Mate. and... We can only see that it was his, my exact words that I wrote, Tim. Yeah. My exact look, words. Look, look I, I posted something about that and then I read other feeds about it and I had these referees, oh, the point of the law. It's like that's just BS whatever way you want to serve it up. If you have a look at the baseline, which we all got to see the baseline vision, you could see it wasn't intentional. So what she had one hand on the ball. A lot of players these days, God knows why, they have one hand on the ball and they're holding the ball, you know. She got mugged and all she was doing was trying to brush her man back. And so yeah. at the most, oh, yeah. give her an intentional foul. Play on. Yeah. Intentional foul, and play on. That's like sending off. He was. It was just for me, it was a Hollywood moment for the referee. The eyes were on him. <laughs> it was all about him. 
the other referee said, oh, I think it's, you know, the, he had the right call. But then the other guy made a big theatrical thing. No, it's intentional, you know, and it's like, yeah, whatever. That was a really yeah. bad call, which definitely changed the game. But I think that part of being an Opal and, and being a successful winning team is that you need to be able to handle adversity and, and that was a really good opportunity for them to handle a bit of adversity. There's one of the seven pillars of being an Opal coming up, handling it. Well done. That's it. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> also for me, the, that decision made by the referee at that point in the game, it was in the third. And when I saw the foul in the context of the rest of the game, to me, I don't feel I know, like right? it should have gotten to that. It shouldn't have gotten to that point. I feel like yeah. if the referees had taken a bit of more of early control of the level of physicality that they were going to be setting the standard of and accepting for that game, that particular incident shouldn't have even gotten to that point. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, don't, I really don't feel like that was inciting violence, as the referee had put it. Um, no. at all. Yeah, yeah. No. Let's let's no, call no. the police and get the handcuffs out. Like, that was ridiculous. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so yeah. Like, I think the, the but, language could have been a bit more diplomatic. Yeah. Watching the... Um, and sorry for going back to this, but watching the uh, Japanese versus the uh, Bosnian game, that was really well officiated for the majority of it, I thought. I thought the referees, they weren't taking any of that. From the Japanese, who liked Japanese are great defenders, but they like to get their hips under. Every time that happened, bit foul. Bosnia, who play a lot like Serbia, bit foul. Like, so for the majority of it, the referees did a really good job of not allowing it to get to that stage. You know, I agree. It got, you know... It did get very physical and you're probably right, the referee. But we've got to be able to handle it because the referees are the referees that you have on the day. So I don't think they were the reason why we lost the game. No, absolutely not. No, no, no. It just kind of added the added to the story of a very challenging game. Yep. Yeah. Made for a few interesting headlines and, and Twitter threads. <laughs> oh, didn't it? It was good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think more of the issue was our, our inability to handle the pressure. There's a couple of areas they need to work on as well. Um, our turnover rate was too high. We had like 19 turnovers. And in that particular game, I think Sammy had six turnovers. She averaged five a game, which is just way too high for a point guard, you know. So our turnover rate as a team, I think we were averaging – 19 turnovers a game. The other thing that surprised me a little bit is that we actually didn't get to the free throw line enough, I thought. Only 12 attempts a game and we only shot 70% and that's just a – the girls can shoot. That's a mental thing. So that's easy to correct as well. But uh, a little concerned about the old turnover rate. Mm. And I think there's part of that that those errors comes from the fact that, you know, this team really had, didn't have too long together as well. And, you know, if you think about it, there's been a lot of chaos going on with the WNBL season. In terms of Sammy, she's been basically living out of a suitcase for the whole season. Um, That's pro basketball life. Sorry, no sympathy here. (laughs) I've heard that said from a number of other people. Bruce Bolden says that regularly. And I don't disagree. I'm just – and I'm not throwing it out as an excuse. It's just like if you add all these things together – some people just get to a point where it's like, you know what, I can't keep my concentration together for a period of time. I feel like the high number of turnovers is sometimes more a reflection of obviously the applied pressure 
team defence from, say, Serbia, but also perhaps a reflection of relying on Sammy a little bit too much and needing that extra point guard for rotation, but also are the others on the floor doing their job of getting open at the right time to be able to free up Sammy, to get some of the pressure off Sammy, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I think, you know, there were some other performances too. I thought that Alana Smith was uh, super that first game. I'm so excited to see her back playing well. The thing with Alana, she's still coming. Like, look, she's played, what, how many games? Maybe 10, maybe eight games with Adelaide after not having played much at all the last two years. So I think for her, if they get these 15 games, it's going to be super because she's exciting when she's up and flying. Her consistency right now isn't there. And I think that's from the lack of not playing, not, not enough reps, not enough minutes in her legs over the last couple of years. But she's definitely exciting. The other one who bloody excites me and she surprises me is Talbot, you know. Like, look, her consistency for me sometimes isn't there. But oh, nothing but positive to say about her with the Opal. She's been fantastic. She's like running the floor, playing super D, just an overall fantastic team effort, you know. She's been super. So hoping she can keep that on. Tolo was another one who I was actually surprised. Mm. I thought that Tolo needed to be played more, but I think she averaged 20 minutes a game. I was surprised she played that much because I thought she maybe worked away to the starting lineup there for a second, and but she was super valuable coming off the bench for us. And I don't know what it is about it. It must be the French water or something, but she she looks healthy. She looks like super agile and and able to keep up with these younger players. And um, very excited about. Tolo's form at the moment and we need her to be good you know I mean especially with Bishop down now but we need Tolo to continue we'll have Ezzy back don't forget at the Worlds yeah. but um yeah I was pretty happy with Tolo's tournament as well Beck Allen was um you heard the the raves on her from the commentators they loved her yep. D and her length yeah and definitely and I, thought, I think they were kind of right you know she hasn't been known for her defense as much we always know she's got great length and can get in the lanes but I think she um, her, her defense was pretty good. I was really happy with her defensive effort, and I think that's going to help her a little bit to know that she can be a real valuable member of this team and it's not just about her scoring because scoring-wise, she's still a little bit up and down, hot and cold at times, but if she can lock in the fact that she can really help this team defensively, I think that'll help her mindset of being able to be more impactful for this team. So, yeah, my opinion anyway. So she's, she was good too. Who else you want to talk about in that group? I was really impressed with Tess Magin. Tess Magin for me in that Opals lineup, she's not going to be someone high on the scouting list, but anytime she hits the floor, if it's six minutes, 60 seconds, she plays her role really, really well. I find that she does that role really consistently well. It's, uh, I find that her on-board defense has gotten a lot better over time. Her three-point shot selection in terms of decision-making, has been much better and her clip has gotten a lot better as well. So she's someone who I feel like is a really safe sub if you're going deep on the bench that you know if, even if she's going on for a short period of time, she's going to be reliable. And um, I thought Darcy Garvin was was a revelation too. I thought she did – not a revelation because we know she's having a terrific WNBL season and she did well at the Asia Cup, but she did really well too. But, you know, I've got to say Wallace win a few minutes. She didn't look out of place, yeah. you know. She yeah, did all she right. Did. Her length and athleticism and just a rah-rah and, you know, what she did okay and Shyla had her moments. I think for me with Shyla, she just – we need to get more reps into her to build her confidence as well. I know that doesn't sound right, heel and confidence because Shane's so confident. But I kind of feel like Shyla maybe is um, 
lacking a bit of self-belief when she's out there, you know. So I think the more we can play her and the more we get her minutes, the more confident we're going to see that kid become and, and help the Opals. And I think Rochi, you know, she had her moments too. I think Rochi might have got, I don't know, did she get a little more opportunity than Shyla? But she, I like the way she put yeah. the ball yeah, on did. the rack. Yeah, I like the way she put the ball in the rack and was able to get into those lanes. And same as Charlotte, the more minutes that we can get into those kids, hopefully they, you know, fast track. I think for Shyla, she's perhaps become so accustomed to controlling a lot of the team and a lot of the offense and the tempo. You know, she's been the best player in a team and a lot of it's centered around her abilities. But coming into an Opals team where you're, you are the younger one and you're actually playing with your contemporaries who are more experienced and have just as good an ability. It's like how do you fit into that type of team where you're a really good player coming into another team with really good players versus being the centre of, you know, organisation and and kind of carrying a team with your abilities. Maybe that might be an adjustment that she she might need to make. Fair enough. Um, we haven't spoken about Korea, but I don't know that there's – you know, actually, let's back it up. Let's finish off with the Opals. So the one thing I I want to say about the Opals is I'm absolutely excited about them. I'm excited about the direction they're heading. I thought defensively, especially that first game, we show what we can do and and just the whole intensity. You look at the intensity on the court, but you look at the intensity and uh, camaraderie um, on the bench was absolutely fantastic. So it had a really different feel and a feel of old Opals, you know. It was was great to see and... uh, I mean, I'm really excited about the direction defensively that we're headed to, and um, that'll just evolve with time. You know, if we get these next 15 games under our belt or how many games we get, that'll definitely evolve to be consistent. So I'm a huge rep for where the Opals are at, and I think Sandy and and, uh, the coaching staff have done a really good job. But I do believe there's – obviously, we've got a bit of improvement to do as well, and it's exciting because we've got enough time to to get where we need to be to – potentially medal and I've got to say I've got to say that after the Olympics and we had our chat you know I was all about oh well you know if we just go to the World Cup and we we play a good brand and we spoke about this if we play a good brand everyone will be happy and won't matter if we win or lose well well bugger that now I reckon watching this World (laughs) Cup qualifiers that we've got a really good chance to be up on the podium Okay, we've got obviously got a few things things to fix but the team looks much better their mindset seems better and I'm, I'm super excited about what they might be able to get to by the time they toss that first ball at the World Cup. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I also thought that the defensive intensity had improved a lot since Tokyo and it was definitely reminiscent of the, the old Opals with the seven pillars of what it is to be an Opal we talked about in our last episode together. Good girl. Um, yeah, <laughs> you need to learn your history, right? We need to learn it and we need to appreciate our history because that's where we come from. Yeah, but, we um, came, We got back to that relentless persistence and, you know, never give up attitude and just, yeah, it was. It was really good. And I think, you know what, to be honest, and, you know, I thought Sammy, uh, she she brought that energy, you know, she brought that dynamic to the team. And uh, good choice for captain too, I'll, I'll add. And uh, I thought that the girls all lifted. And I don't know whether it was just her or what it was, but something felt better in that team. And they played a brand that I know myself and former Opals and, and the general public, especially after game one, was happy with and impressed by and enthused and excited. <laughs> the perfect thing to get us excited for 
hosting the World Cup in September. And it feels like we've been saying hosting the World Cup in September for so long, but the reality is now it is this actual September, only, you know, seven, six, seven months away. So it's, yeah. it's getting like really, really exciting and, and starting to feel real now. Yeah, it is. And you'll see, I think, in social media in that the build will start soon too. So that'll make it even more real. So can't wait. Uh, so, look, the question I wanted to ask you is, out of the 12 teams that are, that are going to the World Cup, if you were making the draw, who would you want to see in pools against each other? That's a toughie. And you know what? Let's Let's think. I wish I'd done this. I sat down to do to try and work out the pools and, and work out – oh, not that you can work out the pools. They're pulled out of the pod. But trying to work out what your crossover would be and, you know, like you want yeah. the USA in your pool, play them once and then, you know, meet them down the track later, you know. But um, I don't know it's so much who I want in my pool. I just – I want to see some games, you know. <laughs> like there's games okay, I want to so see. Yeah. Which games would you want to see? I want to see, well, let's go here. I want to see Japan play China because that's always a bloodbath. And there's <laughs> yeah. so much that, you know, there's so much that, you know, those guys hate each other. So that's an obvious, you know, you want to see that one. And um, I want to see Bosnia play China as well. I want to see Australia play Serbia again. And yeah. um, I want to see, well, I'll just leave USA out of it. But the thing about this World Cup is that there's, just not going to be a game that, that isn't going to be incredibly exciting. You know, like Nigeria, we haven't spoken about them. Nigeria, yeah. who don't get them wrong because, look, their players all play in Europe. You know, they're all yeah. playing professionally. They're all bloody, they're all really good players. They're playing over there, they're playing, WM, you know, they're all good players. And they come together and they've got a really good coach who just instills self-belief and makes them calm the farm. So Nigeria playing Anybody is, yeah, look, the question was just too hard, matey. I'm sorry, I'm bumbling my way through it. But any no, game it's... that's played at this World Cup is going to be obviously high stakes, but it's going to be bloody entertaining. The, the level of the teams going to this, we just saw. And, and, yeah. and here's the thing you don't know. You don't know who's going to get COVID. Let's pray no one does and all the best are there. But you don't yeah. know what's going to happen day by day to team by team, especially when it gets close to the World Cup. Yeah, good question, but I'm, I'm really sorry. I can't answer that one because I just think that it's going to be on. Like Belgium, Belgium-Bosnia is going to be a ripper, you know? Like they're all just going yeah. to be ripper games. Yeah, sorry. I feel no, like no, I've let fine. you down. I mean, look, but, look, um, I mean, I'm looking forward to 10 days of just amazing basketball yeah. in the World Cup. It's just going to be spectacular. And like you said, there is not a bad team in the bunch. That's, no. that's the honest truth. Nigeria, yeah, we didn't talk about them too much, but they were out there having fun and they played their hearts out and they got the result. And the ability to come from behind and the ability to believe that they're not out of it when they should be out of it, that's yeah. a kudos to their coach. That's something that I don't think Nigeria's had before in their makeup. They had a good Olympics, don't get me wrong, but I think another year with their coach and they're really – um. They're going places. They didn't surprise me because I, I've kept an eye on them and, and I just know their players are playing really well. So, And he's a really good coach. I can't remember his name right now, but he's had like uh, Chinese Taipei, he's coaching China, he's in the USA. He's coached everywhere. And uh, listening to his timeouts and the way he speaks to the girls and calms them down, you know, they can be 20 down. He goes, look, you're not out of it. 
Just relax, take a breath, let's go. Let's focus on the next two minutes here. This is what we're going to get done. I guess timeouts are really good and they've got some darn quality players, that's for sure. I mean, Macaulay, she's great. And, you know, mm. anyway, those kids are just getting better and better from playing over Europe and, and in those professional teams they're playing. Yeah. All I can say out of this is can't wait to see how the draw goes because, in all honesty, that's going to set up some really interesting competition. And, it's going to be great. Can't wait. It's going to be, yeah. yeah, it's going to be awesome. 3rd of March, I'm actually going to go up to Sydney for the draw. That's how much I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll be able to analyse it and chat about it after that. And uh, I, I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait. As you said, every game's going to be a ripper. <laughs> okay. Look, Timsy, it's been great having you back. Again, I would love to get you back again so we can have some more conversations about the World Cup as we get closer to it, as we start seeing how things are panning out, as we start to get better ideas of how the final teams are going to look for all of these countries. Always fantastic talking to you. Well, thank you very much. And thanks for having me back on. Loving it. Uh, Speak to you soon. Anytime. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.